Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we look at elements of the scriptures that have become real to us because we believe we can draw more power from the scriptures when they seem real to us and apply them to our lives better, and we need that. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I think this time I can safely say that I have my very favorite guest ever on this podcast because I'm doing this with my wonderful and amazing wife, Julianne Mielstein. So say hi, Julianne. Hi, everyone. Yeah. And uh, I'll introduce Julianne and I'll just introduce her and not have her introduce herself. Uh, that's different than what we usually do, but I've been so instructed and I'm obedient. <laughs> so uh, Julianne is from Sacramento and uh, she, uh, I tricked her into marrying me after we met uh, at Jerusalem. Uh, we were at the Jerusalem, they used to have six month programs and we were on that program and met there. And then I tricked her into going out with me and tricked her into marrying me and uh, that's more true than you know. So anyway, and um, we've since been back to Israel twice. We've lived in Israel two different times for a year each. Uh, and Julianne is so good at studying the land and studying the scriptures and uh, daily life and family life uh, in biblical times and in modern times. Uh, we've led tours in Israel together, and she's led some tours there on her own. Um, and uh, just really has a feel for this. She's also the mother of six wonderful children. And I know sometimes I tease my children on this program. That's partially because they edit it. And so it's just my way of giving them a hard time. But uh, she does have wonderful children and she's a wonderful mother and uh, has deep insights into the scriptures and the gospel. And so welcome, Julianne. Thank you. Happy to hear with you. Be here with you. Yep. She's happy to hear me is what I think she was saying. Isn't that what you're <laughs> that's, to always say? Yeah, that's, uh, always that's true. Yeah, that's not always true. But all right, we'll, we'll move on from that. So uh in any case, we thought that as we were talking about uh, the law of Moses or reading about the law of Moses and come follow me this week and doing Leviticus, and it just kind of hurts my heart that we do like three chapters in Leviticus when it's such an incredible book uh, with so many powerful symbols in the laws. And Avram Shannon and I talked about that a little bit already. And I will encourage you actually to go to my website, outofthedust.org, where you can find on the, the little link that says... <clears throat> On the little link that says um, Old Testament resources or study aids or something like that, you'll uh, be, see a lot of charts. And I have several charts that go through the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Booths, Feast of Atonement, and so on, uh, the Passover, to help you see how they symbolize and point towards Christ. Because that's one thing we want is to always be both rooted in the scriptures and pointing towards Christ. And uh, so hopefully those charts help you with that. But uh, I know that Julianne had a number of uh, experiences, uh, too many for us to, to really talk about here, but a number of experiences while we lived in Jerusalem, uh, where she saw the, uh, the effects of people living the law of Moses uh, and the, the effects it had on them. Uh, remember, uh, this is always worth pointing out, we, we often talk about problems with law of Moses or lower law, but if it's lived correctly, it does bring you to Christ. That was its point. And you can read uh, the story of the, the children of uh, the Ammon, they're called, or the anti-Nephi-Lehi's in the Book of Mormon. And it says that because they followed the law of Moses with understanding, that it did bring them to Christ and brought them joy. So that's one of the things that we're, we're hoping we can illustrate a little bit here is to talk about some of the things we learned uh, while we were in Israel and uh, that, that have to do with keeping the law of Moses and the devotion that's part of that. So uh, that's enough for me for at least a little while. Uh, let's uh, hear from you, Julianne, some of the things that, that made that become real for you. Well, before I get started, maybe I'll just say I'm so blessed 
to have Carrie for my husband. Oh, now let's not get into that. (laughs) I'll just say he has helped uh, the scriptures become more real for me and helped me be able to have experiences that I wouldn't have had otherwise um, to help me be able to uh, more fully appreciate the scriptures and deepen my understanding. So thank you for that. Now, now we're going to have a problem, you see, because I'll ask our kids to edit that out and she'll ask them to leave it in and we'll have to see who they listen to. Yes. They'll listen to mom. Um, Yes. uh, I, one of the things that really stood out to me in our experiences in living in uh, Jerusalem um, was how devoted, how devoted uh, people are. Um, And I love to watch in whatever religion uh, they were a part of, the depth of devotion and the depth of their worship and and really the full immersion, uh, focus, and sacrifice that was made in, um, in their efforts and in their worship. And that really, really made an impact on me and wanted me help, to help me to become even more devoted um, and more um, purposeful in my worship. And so... Um, in particular, uh, watching the Sabbath day worship of the Jews. And, you know, as a child, we often sing the um, Saturday is a special day, the day we get ready for Sunday. And I think that has slipped, at least in my life. Um, and as I watch the Jews prepare for their Sabbath day, that starts early on Friday. Uh, most work and schools get out really early at noon for the purpose of preparing for the Sabbath. And as Sabbath uh, approaches, everything is shutting down. Um, and one time we didn't realize the kind of how the length that people go through. Um, and it was a Friday afternoon, the kids were out of school and we headed to the mall and um, around one o'clock and, and it just became more and more quiet. And as we're walking around and, and stores were closing and we understood that and, but there were some things in the middle of the mall we could do. And we were doing those things with our kids and we st- suddenly that noticed, merry-go-round thing and yeah, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we suddenly noticed that there was nobody around. And um, so we thought, well, we should probably leave. And we went to a door and it was locked <laughs> to get out of the, of the mall. And then we started kind of get a little nervous because it was, Probably around, it was pro- probably approaching three, I think. Yeah, about three, two, 20, two something like or that. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, we finally found one door. Yeah, that we tried was, a bunch of doors. <laughs> that was open because there was one, I think one last custodian left in the mall to, to get out. And, you know, and, and Sabbath, for maybe for those that don't know, um, Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday. And so there was plenty of time. Another thing that happens... <laughs> But we did almost spend the whole weekend in that mall. <laughs> I think it might have been been, been possible. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing is about an hour before sundown, an alarm uh, sounds throughout the city. So to give an hour of buffer, people will try and be already in their homes and ready for the Sabbath before that sound um, uh, rings throughout the city. And so it, just so many different things in their preparation. Those are just a couple of does anything else come to your mind? Uh, it's even true for not particularly religious people. Like as a culture, they take the Sabbath very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and you'll hear also greetings throughout all of Friday while people are still uh, uh, ahead of starting this preparation. You know, 
uh, Shabbat Shalom and very, uh, very um, excited greeting, kind of like Merry Christmas, but each week, right? Just this really excited greeting. And um, it's just fun to hear and fun to, to feel that real, uh, that Sabbath is a delight. And it just kind of continues with welcoming in the Sabbath and the gathering of the family. And um, it just, it's just really a set aside holy day that really is delightful. And that's just something that uh, really stood out to me and was poignant in my mind to say, how can I apply that more to myself? And, and maybe I can uh, share one little part with it and ask you to share another part. Um, one of the things that really touches me is when you go to a synagogue and so you can go to a normal synagogue or the Western wall is an outdoor synagogue. Uh, but one of the main things on the Friday night, you can get, they go to synagogue on Saturday as well, but many go to synagogue Friday night to uh, welcome in the Sabbath. And one of the main things they do there is sing songs of joy, welcoming the Sabbath. They're so excited for it to be Sabbath. And, and, and the, some of the songs are comparing it to a groom waiting for his bride and so happy that the bride is coming in there. And you'll see them singing and dancing at the Western Wall. And, and, and it's all about, yay, it's the Sabbath, which is so different than how many of us experience it, where it's, oh, the, the, today's the day that we can't do all these things. That's the focus for a lot of people, right? And I, I love the Sabbath and I try to do better. But even as uh, Julianne was talking and saying, you know, we're not so good at the Sabbath day, Saturday being a special day, the day we get ready for Sunday. And I was thinking, okay, well, it's Saturday today. Tomorrow's fast Sunday. So how have I prepared for that? Well, I made sure I ate a really big dinner because <laughs> it's fast Sunday tomorrow. So I did, you know, kind of make it a special day, but not that much. Um, so uh, that's, uh, there is really something to be learned from there. I thought maybe you would be willing to share at least a couple of things we learned from uh, when we had uh, we went and had Shabbat dinner with a friend of ours there, uh, Ophiri Arden and his wife and, uh, the things that our family learned and the effect it had on our family. Sure. I, um, a thing that stood out to me especially was how mindful everything was so that by the time that Sabbath began, everything was in place and in ready so that it was calm and, um, and orderly. Um, and the, the family was, uh, prepared. I mean, all the family, it was such a routine that they were all acting together. Um, and it was a very nice feeling in their home. Um, and they also did a lot of, uh, talk during the meal. Uh, the first part of the meal was set up to be for talking. They, they put out for us, at least they put out, um, artichokes and and we sat around and talked about the scriptures and about spiritual things as we ate the artichokes and they followed that up with a blessing for each child and it was it was beautiful i just love the whole experience and the and the bread the special bread is that you can just these little things you can eat in little bites so that you're free to talk mm -hmm. it affected our, our kids uh, a lot i think for a number of years, it changed the way we approached the Sabbath, I think. Yeah, in fact, um, as we left Jerusalem and came home, we started talking about how we could implement some of those things so that our family had a, a bigger experience, uh, a better, more delightful, more family unifying experience on the Sabbath day. And so we began to kind of try and see how we could implement some of those things and we did uh, decide to have our own a Sabbath 
meal that was welcoming in the Sabbath. Uh, it didn't work so well on Saturday night because we had a lot of teenagers and there were a lot of things happening, but we would do it uh, earlier in the day and uh, we would sing songs and have a special meal and and talk about the gospel and, and give blessings or, or have prayers and just set aside things to be able to kind of bring that moment in together as a family. Yeah, it's been wonderful. I, I think we've struggled a little bit since I've been made the, the bishop. It's yeah. not been quite yeah. as easy. We need to get back on track with that. But uh, It's always revisiting and, and rethinking. And as a family evolves and the different needs of the families, you are always needing to do that. Yeah. So another thing I'd say, did you want to talk more about the Sabbath thing? No. Um, another thing that I would just uh, stood out to me as far as um, kind of different things that were involved in the law of Moses are uh, how um, in, in not just the Jews, but we'll talk specifically about the Jews, but how um, they are able to set themselves apart and how the law of Moses helps them do that. And uh, I think we tend as a culture to shy away from being set apart and try and find ways to be less set apart. And the law of Moses uh, has so many things set up so that they um, are set apart and that they are marked as a holy people uh, visibly with their clothing, like a kippah, um, their actions with daily rituals, um, like the mezuzah at the, at the doorpost uh, for every doorway they walk through, uh, the food being kosher, um, with different holiday, uh, holy days, holidays. Um, well, that's what holiday comes from. Yeah. Holy day. yeah. And um, uh, prayers, uh, on the forefront of their mind and their heart that, that just that they're regularly reciting with songs and chants like hourly with, with any time they take of any food or water or I mean, drink. Um, and I just think that those parts of the law of Moses really help someone internalize that they are set apart because it's so regular and, and then, and, be seen as a set apart people, so a people of God, because they are set apart for that purpose. So I think there's so many things in the law of Moses that really um, can be helpful, and we can uh, appreciate those things from our own culture and see how maybe some of the things that we shy away from, we can embrace more. Um. I think in, in particular, one of the, the experiences our family learned from was the Feast of Booths or Sukkot. Um, I don't know if you had some stuff you wanted to talk about with that, or if you just wanted to keep going with the whole uh, being set apart holy, that kind of a thing, or what you'd like. Oh, we can talk about the the booths. Um, the family that, wonderful, wonderful family, that invited us to have a Shabbat meal with them. Um, also invited us to be able to create the uh, booth. Um, so maybe I'll backtrack. I, okay. I probably should have said a while ago that Shabbat and Sabbath are the same thing. Shabbat is how you say it in Hebrew. So Shabbat and Sabbath, same thing. Um, and so uh, their, their family uh, goes through the process of all these different uh, preparations for different feasts, um, and Passover and they're quite intensive and this particular feast um, of booths um, and you create this outdoor um, 
booth and they did they it's quite a process and so they invited our family over um, and some others to help them with them with this process and so it was breaking down the palm fronds from the trees and um and washing them and setting up the the booth itself and then the covering over the booth with these palm fronds and uh it was a lot of work but again to see their devotion and their desire to follow the laws that were uh to help them be able to draw closer to god um was inspiring and they'll eat all their meals during that whole week underneath that booth uh and just have a lot of family time that way it's, it's wonderful one of the things that uh i remember from that, uh, I think it may have been the same day. Oh, it was a couple of days later uh, after we helped them. We went to the zoo as a family, and um, there are a couple of things that are part of the feast of booze. You, you bring in uh, the harvest of a couple of specific fruits and some other things. It's a harvest festival. It's kind of like Thanksgiving in some ways. And um, as we went to the booth, there was a, a very observant Jew there, or the zoo. Sorry, there was a very observant Jew there who was blessing people as they came in. He had one of the, the fruits, citrog, and, a, and a, a palm leaf and some water, and he would uh, bless you as you came in. And, he, and he'd come up to each member of our family and bless us, and he went to one of our daughters, Alexia, who does the video editing. And, um, and he's really spent a lot of time talking with her, and uh, she's pretty vivacious, so you know, just interacting with her and teaching her and talking to her, but really just blessing and blessing her. And, and it was uh, just great to see his excitement in wanting us to be blessed, even though clearly we were not Jewish. Um, uh, he was excited to share blessings with us and uh, to help us feel the joy of the holiday and of the Lord. Uh, and as Julianne said, not uh, afraid to stand out, definitely standing out there, right? Literally and figuratively as he stood there in the zoo, uh, welcoming everyone coming in in their t-shirts and shorts. And he had his, you know, his black hat and his the curly locks on and everything else and blessing people, but uh, just exuberant in it. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think um, to even bring this all home a little bit more, um, if we look at Alma 34, 14, you know, um, Alma teaches that about the law of Moses and that this is the whole meaning of the law, every witch pointing to that great and last sacrifice and that, Great and last sacrifice will be the Son of God, yea, infinite and eternal. So I think as we study the law of Moses, as we were remembering that every part of the law of Moses is pointing to that great and last sacrifice, um, that can help us also uh, understand uh, the atonement better and, uh, and also make it more personal. Uh, and so then connecting it to our reading also, uh, if we take a look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, it says that ye shall be holy for I, the Lord God, that ye shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And, and that's what we all are trying to do, right? Is become more holy like God, more set apart, like, and following what God would have us be like. Yeah, this verse really is saying, this is what I'm like, and I want you to be like me, which is really what the gospel is about, right? Right. Um, and I think as we learn more of God and who he is and more 
of the atonement and its redeeming power of through Jesus Christ, that that can help us in our journey become more holy. So maybe if it's all right, maybe this would be a good time. I was actually going to do a separate little short cast on this, but maybe we can just throw it in here because I think you wanted to talk about that atoning sacrifice. And so maybe it works well to spend just a minute talking about the day of atonement, the most holy day of the year you know, under the law of Moses. Uh, and, and this is the one day of the year where the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies. But the idea is that in the, the day of atonement, and again, read Leviticus 16. You can look at the chart I have on my website, but let me just kind of summarize a little this is the day where undoubtedly something that should, you know, has happened in the temple that shouldn't have, you know, some, some kind of dead thing or someone came in that didn't know that they were had a disease or whatever. So it makes it richly impure. Uh, I mean, there's something that happens to everything and everyone that makes it impure in some way. Mm-hmm. And that's happened sometime during the year. And so the day of atonement is when everything is reset. Everything is made holy, pure, clean, all whatever happened that shouldn't have happened is erased and gone away. And when you're that pure and clean, then the high priest representing all of Israel can go into the Holy of Holies, which is symbolic of coming to the presence of God. So that happens just on this one day a year. So let's look at We won't go into the whole thing. And I, I mean, we've got this chapter, but they really went to town on this. So uh, one of the things I, I translated in my class on the Mishnah was the, the tractate on the, the Day of Atonement. And wow, the amount of washings and things that they had the priest do beyond what was in here was incredible. But let's just uh, look at a couple of things. So they, they had a bullock that they would bring, um, and they, they, the high priest normally wore special clothes, but even more special clothes this day. And then there were two goats that were brought and a ram, okay? Uh, and then with the goats... So they would offer the bullock for a sin offering and making atonement for himself and his house so that the priest could be pure as he now then goes and represents Israel. And then you take the two goats and you present them before the, the tabernacle and you cast lots. And one of the goat becomes the goat for sacrifice and the other becomes known as the scapegoat. This is where the term scapegoat comes from. Uh, so you take the one goat and you offer him for a sin offering. So this is to make up for any sin. So you kind of have had the, the bullock, which is, in a way, it's a burnt offering, so it's completely consumed, but it also is just making up for anything accidental, anything at all, right? But then you've got this sin offering, and this is uh, what the, the one goat will be. And then you get the scapegoat, scapegoat and you present that to the Lord, uh, and you make atonement for him, and you let him go into the wilderness. Now, we read below, so I'm not going to go into it in detail here, but we read below that before he's driven into the wilderness— um, uh, well, let's let's just go below a little bit. We get that you kill the goat of the sin offering and bring his blood within the bale and do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it on the mercy seat or seat of atonement, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And that makes atonement for the children of Israel. Um, but you get the other goat and you uh, you place your hands. So this is verse 21. You lay your hands on the live goat and you confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins putting them upon the head of the goat, and then you send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness, meaning you get someone who can chase him and drive him out so that he doesn't come back. And, and the practice grew up that they didn't want him to accidentally come back, so you chase him until he runs off a cliff. But, um, but look at the next verse, verse 22. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. 
Um, so you see the, the incredible symbolism here, that there is a goat whose the blood of that goat makes a, atonement or reconciliation for everyone, but there's also a goat who takes all of our sins and bears them away. Christ is both of those goats. He's also the bullock and the ram. Uh, all of these things and all of the washings and all of the anointings and all of the clothing that happens that day and all of the, the, the sacrifice is what makes everyone reset as if there had been no sin and, uh, and also sanctifies them enough that they can enter into the presence of God, at least symbolically by the high priest going into the Holy of Holies. So uh, the idea of atonement is really, really powerful. And I think that's what you wanted to talk about a little bit more, but I thought maybe I'd just throw that in there. Sorry to no, get going now horrible. instead of on my short cast. But. It, it, it reminds me of a, um, a quote from uh, Boyd K. Packer, who said, restoring what you cannot restore, healing the wound you cannot heal, fixing that which you broke and you cannot fix is the very purpose of the atonement of Christ, which is, is so true. And, and I think the more experience I have in life, the more I hold to that and feel so much comfort in, in that fact of the atonement. Um, and I'll, I'll just share an experience I had recently. I was at an event that for our stake youth and one of the um, people speaking uh, was a missionary um, and what her uh, calling was to be able to act as a therapist across several missions and she started to speak to the youth about letting go of um, of past sins by applying the atonement and talked about how some of the missionaries that, sh that sh struggled were unable to let go um, after they had been forgiven. And, um, and I, at that moment, felt words come into my heart. Um, and those words were, is your past perfected? And that just opened my mind and my understanding of the atonement at, at kind of a different level, because I realized what I was being taught in that moment is that if we are applying the atonement fully and we believe that the atonement really has the power that it has, which I do believe, then as we apply that atonement, our past can be perfected. And that is just, that just lifts my spirit to think about that and, and to understand that truth that we can have a clean slate from our past, which if in that moment that we've, we've applied the atoning power of Jesus Christ, um, then we're looking forward with also a clean slate. And it is only through Christ that we are perfected. We are perfected in him. And that is the kind of perfection we can um, really apply in this life and, um, and feel that uh, burden lifted and, uh, and really... I think that's something that we need to understand better uh, as a, as a people so that we can let go of some of the ideas of perfectionism that we have and realize that it, it's never just, it's never really about us. We make these efforts, but it's about applying that atonement of Jesus Christ and that redeeming power to our past. And then we have, we have that freedom to move forward without that burden of our past. 
Uh, and I, I think that's so powerful. Um, and and uh, those who've been listening to the program somewhat faithfully will maybe remember a little bit this moment that I'm, I'm thinking of. But it was uh, in my recent interview with Phil Allred, who we were in Israel with. And um, Phil is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it was a great, uh, he did a great job in that. Um, and we, we were doing Exodus 19 and 20, and he read a verse where it talked about God delivering us from bondage. And he was talking about similar to what you're talking about. And I didn't even realize, I'm not someone, I really am not a perfectionist. I, I really believe in the atoning power of Christ and have felt it in my life a lot of times and believe he can and will exalt me and, and all of us, really, uh, anyone who will allow him. Uh, and yet, um, as he was talking, I realized that there are some things that I uh, have done, especially when I was younger, not terrible things, but things that uh, have I didn't intend to hurt people, but I think kind of hurt people that I still worried about. Um, partially because I don't, some of those people I don't know anymore. I don't know if how they're doing, how that affected them, if they've gotten over that or not. I mean, I don't think I did anything terrible that, that, uh, was terrible to them. There are some things that, that, uh, I did that, uh, I thought, you know, this doesn't really affect me, but maybe for some people it did affect them. Right. I didn't think through when I was like in high school or my early college years that, uh, doing this fun thing that I understood, well, we're not going to cross that line, but maybe other people didn't think that through and they did cross the line. I don't know. Uh, I, right now, I can't even think of a specific example, but I remember being worried that I'd maybe spiritually hurt some people uh, and have um, uh, for a while, I guess, just worried about that. And I felt like that when Phil was talking about that, that, that bondage, I was being lifted from that bondage. Mm-hmm. And being told, you don't have to worry about that. I take care of those things. I heal those things. Now you're lifted from that bondage. And and, and as you've shared this with me uh, a little while ago, I, it's that same feeling that, ah, so yeah, we've all done stupid things. We've all done things in our, we all have something in our past that we're embarrassed about. We wish we hadn't done. Um, and whether it's terrible or not terrible, it really doesn't matter. Um, it is, we all have something like that. And yet Christ can perfect that past. That doesn't mean that there may not be some people who are still hurting now and will not be healed for years or maybe in the next life. That doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for some of the things we've done um, that we may have to to still deal with, right? I mean, if you were an alcoholic, um, you may still have a problem with your liver, right? Uh, and, And some things along those lines. So it doesn't mean all of that is totally gone, but it does mean that really spiritually, your past is perfected. Uh, and you don't have to worry about those things anymore. And that's a, a, a truly liberating feeling and idea that you and Phil have shared with me. And I, I'm grateful for that. Thank you for that. Well, maybe I'll um, re- uh, read a quote uh, from David Bednar in a BYU speech that he kind of gave these same ideas. Um, and he says, if I were to emphasize one overarching point, it would simply be this. I suspect that you and I are much more familiar with the nature of the redeeming power of the atonement than we are with the enabling power of the atonement. We also need to appreciate that the Lord desires through his atonement to empower us. Most of us clearly understand that the atonement is for sinners. I'm not so sure, however, that we know and understand that the atonement is also for saints, for good men and women who are obedient and worthy and conscientious to and who are striving to become better and more and serve more faithfully. I frankly do not 
think many of us get it concerning this enabling and strengthening aspect of the atonement. And I wonder if we mistake, mistakenly believe we must make the journey from good to better and become saints all by ourselves through sheer grit, will, power, and discipline, and with our ob- obviously limited capabilities. And I think this is part of that aspect of the enabling power of the atonement is that we can really uh, just be free and and apply that uh, that power of the atonement so that our past is perfected and we just move forward in in feeling enabled right yeah so yeah the atoning sacrifice of christ is more powerful at perfecting us now and perfecting our past it doesn't mean that we're all of a sudden fully sanctified and ready to be with god forever um i think we can have a, a perfected past without yet being we can be perfect in this moment sin sinless justified doesn't mean that we're already 100 percent enabled the way that elder bednar is talking about like to the point where we're godlike but we're more godlike and we will be fully godlike and our past is justified and 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 perfected and we're it, it's it's fine right it's mm-hmm. it's it's taken care of that's that's an in, tremendously encouraging thing and i had a, another experience years ago that you know about um that kind of helped me with this dro- drove this point home even further I, uh, with the process of becoming holy um and that that enabling aspect of becoming holy um i had an opportunity our family had an opportunity to um have a plot a garden plot that was it kind of provided by the stake. And um, so we decided to um, have this experience. And so there was this land was divided up into plots and, and um, we got started kind of late. So as we came down to start our plot, um, all, all these other families had uh, progressed quite a bit further than we had. And so we were trying to kind of catch up and we prepared our plot and uh, one of our friends um, was a master gardener and he was one of the people who were just going around helping everybody. And he came over to see how we were doing and gave us words of encouragement and told us he was there if we needed him and, and, um, and kind of moved on. And so we, you know, we were very excited about the potential of this garden and had great vision. And we, you know, beginning of the season spent the time and the effort and we we were all in this together, and um, and I would go and run. Some of our kids weren't as into it as others, but anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had this great vision as parents, and so um, I would run there as a part of my exercise at, every morning, and I would uh, turn on the water and um, and weed the little weeds, and and then as this, the uh, summer progressed, and our lives got more busy with reunions and camps and all sorts of things. Uh, I went less and less. And uh, at, at a certain point, I went and I would go to turn the water and I would see the weeds start growing. And I thought, oh, I, I need to spend the time on the, the weeds, and but I'll get to it later. And then it, it would progress. And, and uh, I was surprised to find one time that the weeds had really taken over the whole garden. Uh, there was a little bit of plants showing here and there coming up, but um, mostly it was weeds overtaking it and I felt quite discouraged and uh, brought the family 
and we started weeding and the, the ground was hard because we'd gotten behind in the watering. And so it was just painstaking and, and it felt overwhelming and it felt like it was too much. And it felt like I, we had failed and I had failed in teaching my children. And it was, um, it was, it felt like there was no way to really fix it. And uh, at that time, this friend of ours came by this master gardener and he said, you know, would you like some help? And I, you know, I felt bad and I was like, no, we've got it. You know, we'll, we'll do this. And we kept kind of weeding and I thought, okay, let's just go home because we're never going to make it here. And he came back over without us asking, brought this little rototiller that was small enough to go in our plot and go around these uh, plants. And just really quickly, actually, he went through and rototilled up all the, the weeds and we were able to like throw them out and get rid of them quickly. And suddenly our garden looked beautiful. Uh, and I did not, hadn't seen how well the plants were still doing in there um, because it was so overtaken by weeds. And so then I felt excited again, like, okay, okay, all is not lost, right? This master gardener came and, and helped us and fixed that for us. And, and so I had these goals and we recommitted ourselves and we started watering again and weeding again. I running and bringing the family regularly. And again, the life took over and things got busy, especially as it, school got started. And, and, um, and so I go down there again at a certain point and find that there are weeds all over again. And, and I felt embarrassed that I had failed again and that the uh, master gardener would need to bail me out again. And, um, and sure enough, he came around and he fixed it and, and helped us out. And, and as I was looking at that process, um, something occurred to me because now we had these big plants that were producing fruit and it was a, a garden that was um, a beautiful garden. And I realized that had I not allowed the master garden that gardener that first time to come in and 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 apply those that that the help that he had, um, those weeds would have choked out those plants that were growing. They were kind of hidden at the time, but they were there. And hadn't I not done that, I wouldn't have had the garden to harvest at the end. But because I did did apply um, the principle of allowing the master gardener to come in and, and help our garden. And even though it had to happen a second time, those plants were still there and still growing. And it wasn't a failed garden. It was still um, a garden that was producing. And I think that we can apply that in our, our lives because sometimes we will be discouraged in our, in our path to become holy. And, and we'll apply the atonement and feel like, oh, here I am in a mess again. And um, how am I here? And, and Satan will try and get us to think we're failures and try and get us to quit. But if we quit, we'll miss the fact that there is um, beautiful seeds that we planted that are growing with, with faith as we keep applying that atonement and keep moving forward. And that there is harvest in what we're doing. Um, and we just have to look beyond and, and clear out those weeds as we go along. But if we quit, the weeds will choke us out. And I think that's the progression of holiness and the progression of life. And it's really beautiful 
but we have to see through those weeds and, and apply that atonement in our in our process to become holy. Yeah, we have to allow him uh, and not be embarrassed that we need help again and again and again, but just keep coming back and asking for help. Yep, and as we ask for that help and apply the 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 redeeming power and enabling power of the atonement of Christ, right? Then that's again, is our past is being perfected. We have that moment where we have these beautiful plants again, and we have the whole growth of the garden ahead of us. And it, it will continue to grow as we keep working at it. So and I, I don't know why, but that's making me think of uh, president Nelson talking about uh, that repentance should be a joyful thing. And I know people who, when they hear the word repentance, we had this discussion once in the gospel talking class, and there were a lot of people who, when they heard the word, word repentance, they thought of it with a, in a negative light and a painful and sorrowful and wish I didn't have to do that. Uh, or as I just think of it as, wow, great, wahoo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a daily repentance. I, I mean, I plan on repenting every day. I, I need it every day. And sometimes it's from things I've done. Sometimes it's things I haven't done. And a lot of times it's from just my inability to do better. Uh, as much as I would like to do better, I sometimes just can't help people the way I'd like to help people and and uh, so on and so on. Um, but that daily repentance helps alleviate some of this embarrassment about going to the master gardener and asking for help again. Uh, mm-hmm. If we just know we're going to be doing that every day, uh, then it's not so hard when we need to do it, uh, even when it's after a bigger problem than our normal daily repentance problems, right? But uh, but that enabling power of Christ can heal and make whole. I can't tell you how many times I've thought, uh, you know, hopefully we get to be better parents as we get uh, more experience with it. Uh, but there have been plenty of times I thought, you know, I am sure I've done things that uh, without intending to, with all my best intents and all of my best efforts that haven't been uh, perfect for our children. And uh, it's very comforting to me to know that Christ can heal them of whatever I didn't do correctly or did incorrectly, uh, should have done that didn't do or whatever else, that he can heal and make that whole uh, and perfect my past in a way that it perfects them. I often think of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very grateful. And, and I have that experience in uh, sacrament meeting a lot as I look out at all the congregation, all these people who I love so much and wish I could do even more for and uh, and I've had a number of times where the spirit just testified, no, no, you, you do what you can do. I'm I do the healing. I I take care of this. Right. This is this is my job. And so I, what I do is pray for everyone, right? And mm-hmm. and believe that Christ can perfect everyone's past and make everyone whole and everyone healed and arise with healing in His wings. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and that's that's part of what that Day of Atonement is about. Mm-hmm. Everything gets reset. Everything, however unholy it had become whether intentionally or unintentionally everything gets reset everything gets made holy and at some point everything gets made holy enough to be with god again if we just let him well thanks man good good fun my favorite guest ever just want to <laughs> emphasize that uh, see that's good okay so i get to sleep in the in the house tonight instead of the dog so that's good anyway uh we hope that uh this has been helpful for you and it's made the scriptures become a little bit more real for you and uh, that you'll spread the word as well. So thank you. Thanks, Julianne. Bye, everyone. Bye.